Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So you first. What's astonishing you? Listen, I know we are not making a podcast about making a podcast. (laughs) Except for when we are. (laughs) Except for when we are. But I need to say this because I am genuinely astonished by it. Last Saturday, of course, I was late uploading last week's podcast. But um, as I was editing and uploading the podcast, there's a little um, counter in the top right hand of my screen. Uh, SoundCloud is our platform that hosts this podcast. And it said 200. Last week was our 200th episode. Oh. And so this is... 201. And all the times that you've been listening, doing this, 200 people have listened. I would be like, oh, sounds right. Sounds well, a little high. pretty honestly. astonishing. No, it is. 200. It is. And I, I have heard, and this was some years ago, but I heard that uh, on average, podcasts go about seven to 10 episodes before they quit. <laughs> <laughs> so I was telling you on the, um, on our run that... Um, our pathetic run? Our pathetic run that I, I was... <laughs> preaching a, a sermon that shall remain undescribed on Sunday afternoon. And I, I was talking about mar- marcescence, this like phenomenon in trees that like some trees, um, deciduous trees, their leaves don't fall off their branches, but they remain withered and brown and dead and attached to the branch. And that's called marcescence from the Latin root to shrivel, but literally means uh, withered, but persistent. <laughs> I was saying in my sermon, like, it's, which is cool, which is which is at times a perfect metaphor for the church. And, um, and so, yes, we, we might be withered, but we are persistent, right? I just, it's consoling. Um, anyway, segue back. I'm what, uh, what's astonishing you? That oh, that's, a, it. That, that's, that's it. That's it. Oh, that's it. Perfect. What is astonishing you? <laughs> we're going to, we're going to get better at this. Just give us 200 more, you know, um, on Sunday, it, it was actually a really beautiful, really full day. Um, and, the last thing that happened on Sunday is the um, Roots Ministry at the Grove, which is our youth ministry, which is led by um, the beautiful and faithful Octavia Ramsey. And um, just the way that she has been growing and deepening that ministry over the years is just really beautiful to watch and to cheer on from the sidelines. And um, she had been working with the youth, and one of the things they wanted to do was have a dance, um, but it was going to be an all generations dance and um, just getting people to come to the church and just like dance together. And so I, you know, I am getting better at keeping my unsolicited opinions to myself better. There's a low bar to clear. Um, So I'll just say like, I had a lot of concerns about that. Um, A lot of expectations about that. I thought it was a great idea, but I just didn't, you know, I I just had visions of all the middle school dances that I didn't go to and said, you know, anyway, whatever. So, but, but the youth had wanted to do it and they had a vision for what they wanted to do and they had planned it and they were really excited about it. And so we went to it on Sunday night and it was so beautiful, like just to get, be in the room with these young people and they were playing music and it was a lot of like line dances and Cupid shuffles and electric slide and all other things. And it was just so fun to see them just 
have the joy of being together and the joy of dancing and the joy of like welcoming like people their parents age in and younger kids getting to dance with the teenagers and just like just seeing what I mean, it's just really the beauty of a community where you feel included and free and able to be a part of something that's just good and not productive, you know, just like sheer, and like, it was just so beautiful. And I was so, um, just, I'm always grateful for Octavia's leadership and just so grateful that she has created a space where the young people feel free to say like, Hey, let's try this. And I think it would be great. And she encourages them in that and encourages them that we can, um, you know, we're just finding new ways to delight in being together and enjoying the gift of being together. And we've just been preaching on Sabbath and creating a Sabbath culture at the church. And it was just so beautiful. And I, I showed up really tired Um, and it was just so, um, it was just so great. And I was so happy, you know, I think being a human is difficult. Um, and being an adolescent human is really hard just to feel like you're acceptable in your own skin and that, that the Lord through Octavia has committed this sort of third space community where, I mean, kids will dance in front of each other, like, that's just, that's amazing. So anyway, I just was so, um, astonished at how beautiful it was and just like what that, just what it means to learn all the right things we learn about Jesus, but to learn them in the context of a community where you're just free to enjoy being alive and to show up without looking perfect and to be silly and to include younger people and older people. And anyway, it was, it was lovely. And, you know, all the people that showed up for the kids were lovely and it was just so, it was so nice. And, um, I love so much, and this happens all the time. I love it so much when there's something really good and beautiful that's going on in the Grove and, and I just had nothing to do with it. And it's so encouraging to me to have these constant reminders that like, it's not that I don't matter, but it is that nothing depends on me. And it's just so encouraging, um, to see what God is doing with God's people. And we just get to show up and be blessed by it. So anyway, it was really And sometimes lovely. as Christians, we think that the only time we get to experience beauty and joy and being caught up in, um, the, glee the bliss of god is in worship on sunday mm-hmm. mornings and so it is um revelatory to have that experience outside of a worship experience right and i think to be able to say like all of the things that we teach get kids about how and one another about you are loved and you are made in the image of god and you are good and god is for you and not against you like all of those things they're 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 easy to say but you embody them when you sit down and share a meal together and you embody them when you show up and do the hokey pokey together, right? Like you, that, that's where you just say, there's nothing more important to do. There's no place I'd rather be than here in relationship with you bound to you by the love of Jesus. Like you're, you're my people, you're my community, you're my, you're my kids. You're anyway, it's just, it was really lovely. So you know what I have to ask you? Well, I don't even know. I am a fantastic dancer. No, nope, um, that's not where I was going. Okay. So does the church, does anyone at the Grove 
have video footage. Oh, I'm sure there's lots of video oh, footage. Oh, that is going to I'm be sure there's lots on of video Facebook, footage. all over. It's going to be great. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, he's a, he's a, he who shall not be named is a really good dancer, which is, you know, I'm not allowed to talk about my spouse in any <laughs> professional capacity. <laughs> so, um, so that was really fun. And it was really fun because, I mean, segue, he, he is a great dancer and just, he's really fun. Like I'm serious and he's fun. And these are the roles we play in our house. And, um, I'm drama. He's chill. And, um, it was really fun. Cause he came and like, he's, he's all over it. Like he is all about, like, I'm going to go and have a good time. And if that embarrasses you like cherry on top of the Sunday. And it was really fun. Our oldest daughter, um, well, I mean, all three of our kids were there, but he was really thinking he was going to embarrass our oldest daughter. And she was like, bring it old man. <laughs> they were, like That's Throwing great. down. The, it was really great to see. So anyway, it was good. It was good. Do you know that at one time, I was into ballroom dancing. <laughs> You're probably not surprised. I mean, I delight in that. And that is where I would say to to the to the whoever is listening, is there any video of that? Because I'd like to see no, it. That I was, you're that a liar. You're a lying liar who lies. Don't even tell ago. me that your parents don't have videotape no, of that, you ballroom that was, dancing. That was college. Someone, that was college. someone no. has videotape of you dancing, and I'm gonna trust and believe that. I'm going to speak it into existence and I will get to see it. You just um, do that. So what we, we are thinking about two things that are different, but maybe on a meta level related. Yeah. So do you want to, you well, want to go I first? I'm thinking about the controversy around Beyonce and her um, African imagery uh, in her music, her dress, her songs it really started with the uh, video uh, Black is King, lots of African imagery. Uh, but recently, there's a pastor. Um, she was preaching um, at her church, and she rebuked members of the congregation for getting excited about buying tickets to Beyonce's concert and said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I think I can almost get the quote. Uh, she said something like, um, witches gather in a coven, a coven, and when a coven gets really large, it becomes a hive, and you all are part of that woman's beehive. So basically saying that Beyonce is a witch. Oh, wait. First of all, just in case people don't know, fans of Beyonce, like Beyonce starts with a bee, people call her Queen Bee, and so they call her fans the hive and the beehive. And, and you so, do not know this? Well, a Where lot of people don't know that. And who doesn't know that? I mean, people who are okay. in the greatest generation, they might know that Beyonce exists, but they might not be down on the okay. lingo. Um, so I just feel like that's important to follow. No, and what she said also that I thought was really interesting is, um, and you call yourself a Christian. Like that, that yes. to me is even more astonishing than the the a very arresting language about Beyonce but to to stand in your role as a pastor and declare that someone has a wrong relationship with to Beyonce and therefore is not part of the body of Christ like that's an even more astonishing theological okay so i have thoughts and feelings first of all um, here's what I love about the black church. And when I say the black church, I'm not simply talking about 
people of African origin in church together. I'm talking about that historic institution that came out of the experience of slavery in this country uh, when uh, enslaved Africans, some who were already Christians when brought to this country, to this continent, would gather uh, in, in the woods for secret meetings, secret prayer meetings to uh, worship God. And that, uh, over time, became historic black churches that still exist today. What I love about the black church is that historically, I think almost more than any other part of the body of Christ, is super, almost hyper focused on the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So any deviation from Jesus, we're calling you out. That we, mm-hmm. we just don't, we don't play that, mm-hmm. right? So that's what I love about the black church. What is problematic with what Beyonce is doing is that she is taking aspects of African spirituality, mostly from the Yoruba tribe, which is now we would call that um, Western Nigeria into Benin. She's taking aspects of African spirituality and embodying it in a way that causes some Christians to think that she is offering a new religion. She's also doing it in a way that some former African Americans who were Christian are saying, yep, she's right, we need to leave that slave religion and we need to go back to our roots. And so there, there is this controversy. So lately we have seen her in a lot of yellow and gold and orange. Uh, in her song she's made uh, reference to a particular deity. Um, o- Oshan, I think, is the deity who wears yellow, orange, and gold. She is a water deity. She is the goddess of fertility, sensuality, also the goddess of music, the arts, and beauty, right? So you can see why Beyonce identifies with this particular um, deity in African, specifically Yoruba spirituality. We must remember that part of the legacy of racism and white supremacy is to put within us, us being human beings, regardless of ethnicity, a kind of knee-jerk reaction so that we embrace things that are European as good Mm -hmm. and things that are African as suspect, if not just evil from the get-go. And so do I believe as a Christian that it is problematic that she is embracing, embodying African deities? Yes, absolutely. I think there's a conversation that needs to be had there. Uh, I mean, in, in one of her songs, she makes reference to recharging her crystals in the full moon. Right? That, that's, that's problematic. But at the same time, 
we've got to understand that in this Western society, um, no one has a problem wearing Nike shoes. Nike is a uh, god, Greek mm-hmm. god of victory. No one has a problem with, um, we've named the planets after Greek gods, right. Jupiter, Saturn, Venus, Mercury. Right. The other day I was watching television and there was a commercial for um, a razor for women and the song, um, uh, I'm, I'm your Venus. I'm your Venus. <laughs> your fire, right? Yeah. And so we have accepted, or watch a Marvel movie. Who's one of the big Marvel characters right now? Thor. Thor yeah. Right? Yeah. So we have accepted as part of the culture European paganism. And we can we can hold on the one hand this pagan European past and Christianity, and there's no conflict. But when it comes to traditional African religion, automatically it is suspect it's evil and it must be it must be buried forgotten ignored and we must find a way to learn it understand it celebrate it when a when 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 appropriate to um, use it um, just as we do other cultures. Right. Yeah. Oh, did you have another? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I just think, I mean, what I see as a white person bystander, um, I'm kind of Beyonce neutral. I will say I've always have been, I mean, I appreciate, I'm just not a music person. Um, but I do just see just so much anti-blackness, like to your point that, um, when I was growing up, it was understood that part of being a well-educated person was that you would take Latin and that you would learn all of the Latin, all the myths about the Greek and Roman gods and that you would learn them. And you would like, I think we acted them out and you learn about how, um, you know, how Persephone and the, you know, myth of going down into the underworld and how you can't look back and you learn about narcissist and like, don't be so self-absorbed. Right. So there were ways that these were seen as like classical culture and they were you could learn these myths and you could learn about these gods and they had valuable and truths. western christianity appropriated i, I mean 100 percent. so i do think it's just really interesting to know that we we do not consider knowing those myths and making references to them in our culture singing sing a song about narcissists and nobody assumes that you are worshiping the whatever goddess you know cursed him to be in love with his own reflection. So I think it is just anti-blackness that we're saying like anything that comes from pre-colonized indigenous cultures is, um, it's pagan, it's demonic, it's dirty. Like these are our unexamined assumptions and it's really, it's really harmful. And it, um, and so I think it, it's just really important to note. I mean, just what you said, like a hundred percent. And also to use them unexamined, to use them without knowing a lot of history is also dangerous. It is, it is, I think, irresponsible for her um, to to now to embody this this African spirituality in such a way that some are saying. What's being communicated is we need to go back to our true roots and leave Christianity behind because that is the religion of the enslavers. Okay, well, he, 
I mean, both historically and biblically, that's not true. Well, yes, it is not true all day long. It's not true all day long. But I also feel like it's really unfair. I mean, she's an artist and I haven't heard her make any statements about Jesus or the church or claim to be a pastor or anything else. So like, I'm just saying like, I went to a music school and everyone is like gaga nuts about Wagner and he's a pagan and an anti-Semite and was his mythology was like beloved by Hitler and hugely, you know, a powerful cultural symbol in the third Reich. And no one is saying like, Oh, you can't sing Wagner anymore. We're like, what? You don't know who Wagner is. You stupid, you know, uncultured person. So I'm just saying like, to me, it's an assumption to say because she is, using this imagery in some of her art that that means she's making any kind of call to or from any kind of religious tradition i mean that's what artists do is they work with ideas and cultures and so i think you know it's it's really unfair for us to project our own crap onto beyonce and say oh i know what you're doing and i'm i'm offended by it but the the other thing that i just think is really and i was talking about not intention, but effect. Well, just, sure. Just for that But I would say it is not Beyonce's job to make sure that people know that Christianity is not a colonizer. Like, that's our job, right? And it is not, this is, and this is sort of the deeper point for me about people who are calling out fans of Beyonce's music and making it seem like, well, if you're a fan of her music, then you have unwittingly begun worshiping a God you don't even know and your soul is in peril of hell and you're not really a Christian. What I hate about that is it makes the cross so weak. Like it makes it seem like you, you know, there's some other more mythical, powerful force out there. And if you unwittingly say these words in sequence, all of a sudden your soul is stolen from you. Like it just makes the cross powerless. Yeah. And so that is what I think is, is really problematic. And I think when we basically are trying to be lazy and scare people into loyalty to Jesus, as opposed to making a compelling and beautiful convicting case for Jesus, then that's the problem, right? Like the problem isn't Beyonce. The problem is centuries of colonized blasphemy of Jesus by Christians, right? Like if, had we been faithful to the cross, there would be no threat from someone coming and saying, there would be no, there'd be no threat to this. And like, well, and massive ignorance about traditional African spirituality. Correct. And so I just think like part of the issue for me is we need to, we need to stop. I mean, I think you're right. We were talking, I think before we started recording about your thinking and I didn't watch the Grammys either, but you know, there was some intentional um, Jay-Z sort of putting himself in a last supper, like, um, arrangement and like really sort of trying to poke the bear and provoke and sort That's of say, well, I mean, but I mean, as you said, not to Jay-Z, right? Like not, if that's what they're trying to do, we get all attention triggered. is good attention. Right. And so, I mean, this is the problem that like we're more, you're any, that any of us would be more offended by beyond the color choice of Beyonce's costumes or Rihanna's dance moves than we would be by say, the amount of children growing up homeless or the fact that we're taking third grade reading 
scores and building prison beds accordingly. Or that, I mean, like there's just so many things that are worthy of our outrage that we just sort of accept as inevitable and part of, you know, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward, but like let Beyonce wear yellow instead of blue. And all of a sudden, I mean, it's just, it's the wrong, it's just the wrong fight. And I just think the enemy of our souls, I mean, it's just, I mean, and I think we were listening to somebody else reacting to the initial thing about like, when are Christians going to, how does this jive with the whole judge not lest she be judged thing? Like this, we wish it was our job just to make ourselves little dimmy thrones and climb up on them and, you know, hurl accusations at people for Jesus' sake and call it righteousness. That's not our call. So I think it is problematic that the cross, it is deeply dangerous how much the cross has been blasphemed and emptied of its power in popular culture. And what we need to do is take responsibility for our own houses. Like what, how are we preaching the cross and not just preaching what we're against, but what we're for. Yeah. I started out by saying what I loved about the black church. Let me book in to say, here's what I'm finding problematic about the black church as it currently exists. I think there is a very high level, and this is not just the black church, I think this is the church in America. There's a high level of anxiety around the loss of young people. But young people are, they, they have a lot of energy around other things. And so if you can if you can demonize some things that they love, maybe you can scare them back into the church. And I, I do think that's the wrong approach. Right. Well, and I just think a lot and of... And it's not new. because I, no, it's not I new. was born in the 70s. In the 80s, the big Satanic thing Satanic panic. Let's, let's... We had vinyl records. Yes, I'm that old. And the thing was, let's let's play them backwards to find, you know, hear the, the secret message. The real message of the song is when you play it backwards. Like, wait, what? And that was... Huge. Well, I just think as leaders, when we can whip up energy around what's wrong, it's just a shortcut to doing what is our actual work, which is to say, what what are we for? What are we creating? I mean, if you're really disturbed by what Beyonce is doing, then create something beautiful that authentically and directly bears witness to Christ, right? Like if you're if you're triggered and thinking that young people's or old people's faith is going to be undone by, you know, a Beyonce bop, then create some great music that stirs souls, right? Like you can't just get rid of everything else so that Jesus is the only viable alternative. It has to be that we um, lift high the cross in a way that speaks to our current context. Yeah. If, if there were a great Congress of, church leaders and they invited me <laughs> to speak, which will never happen, I would say, number one, yes, I think you're exactly right. We need to be very clear about what we're for and to be intentional about proclaiming the goodness, greatness, glory of Jesus. And we also need clarity in terms of discernment. It matters what you listen to. It matters what you take in imagery matters. And I would also say we need to, as as Christians in America, we need to know a whole lot more about 
African spirituality. Mm -hmm. We need to know a whole lot more about African culture in general. And so what, what is happening is that we are, because of our ignorance of African spirituality, we are rejecting the whole of African culture as leading us to a new religion. And we, we've got, we just need more discernment there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to talk about the Asbury revival. Yes, and I have thoughts and feelings. That's right. Um, and so I think probably most people know that there, at this point, there is a small liberal arts college in Wilmore, Kentucky called Asbury College, which is a, an historically Methodist uh, university. Um, and interesting, fun fact, I've actually been to Asbury College. Didn't you have a boyfriend there or something? No, no. Back in the day? No. Oh, no. Okay. No, no, Notre Dame. And, uh, and, um, uh, oh gosh, I can't believe I'm blanking on this name. Play the Monon Bell against them every year. Small, but this is stupid. This has nothing to do with anything. No, I, when I was in high school, I was part of a Methodist church at Wabash College, not Asbury College. Um, when I was in high school, I was part of a Methodist church and we, uh, went to a Christian music festival. Um, still didn't really care about music. Um, but it was called. Ichthus, because if you say it in Greek, that makes it cool, right? Did you go to Ichthus? No, Look at this. I heard about Ichthus. This was really before I became. I know. A so I, I yeah. was, I was, and I mean, I just, I mean, to our earlier conversation, like I just was so drawn. You not one of the cool kids. I was not one of the cool kids, but I was welcomed into this youth group when I was a teenager, and it was the place I found like acceptance and belonging and friendships. And so wherever they were going, I was going to be on the bus to go there. Like I actually, I. I just didn't really care about the music. I didn't know any Christian music. I thought I was not my scene at all, but my friends were going and I wanted to be there. So we went to Ichthus and it was on the campus of Asbury college. And it was like out in a field and it was super muddy. And, um, and I just loved being there. I don't remember any of the music. I don't remember liking the music at all. I just loved, um, the atmosphere of being in that community. And so, um, I think two weeks ago at this point, they have regular chapel at Asbury College. I don't think it's mandatory. And they were saying that on a Wednesday afternoon in a really unremarkable worship service, um, it was supposed to be over and some of the students just stayed and kept playing and kept worshiping. And then others came back and it has been, you know, continual worship since then and, and revival and outpouring of the Holy it's Spirit. Like 175 hours. Right. And so lots of people have just been, um, I mean, it's, it's a remarkable phenomenon as two pastors yes. who, if it, like in our traditions, worship is to be an hour. Um, and I, I know exactly how long we go over an hour at the Grove every week. And I mean, I understand, I'm just saying like, to have a worship service just extend indefinitely is just, is so countercultural. Like people want to worship God. And then also there's this pressure to like then move on to do something else. And the other thing that's remarkable as a worship leader, a pastor is just this sense of, um, you know, the, one of the most sacred parts of worship to me every week is when we start worship, there's a welcome. And then we call a, a man in our congregation named Jason forward and Jason, um, is not neurotypical. Um, I don't, 
I don't know that he has a diagnosis. I'm not suggesting he needs one, but, um, he's nonverbal mostly. And he, um, rings a bell to start a worship service. But the interesting thing about Jason is like, he is not on time the way that we are on time. And he doesn't feel a pause the way we feel a pause. And, and when he's there, we invite him to lead us into worship and ring the bell. Um, but when you stand up front near with Jason, he may or may not ring it. And sometimes there's just a really long, like, I'm sure it's not a long pause, but it feels like a long pause, like a minute or two. And every week when you're standing up there with him, like you just really honestly don't know if he's going to do it or not. To this point, he always has. Um, but it's a very, it's, it's a very scary, uncomfortable moment because you realize in that moment, you're just not in control. And there's something profoundly sacred about beginning from this place of like, I, this is, this is not a production and I am not in control or in charge of it. And so the thing that I think is so beautiful about what has happened there is how it was not planned or controlled by any body like you or me, right? And how worship sort of broke the boundaries of what was allowed and acceptable and just kept going extravagantly on and on. And um, people have noticed and are just wondering, like, what kind of a sign this is and what does it mean? And what you see there has a lot to do with who you are, right? Like we don't see what is we see as we are. So, um, people in the body of Christ who are from a more charismatic Pentecostal background, um, see usually this is a, this is a revival. This is an outpouring of the power of the Holy spirit and it is a wonder and a sign that God is moving and claiming the hearts of this generation. And I, I, I think that's beautiful, right? I, 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 I honor that. Um, I also think it's interesting that people who are from a more mainline denominational background and people who have been hurt or excluded um, in more charismatic Pentecostal or church settings um, often see it as um, affect pretense or exploitation. Right. And then, so I've just been watching people respond to it and it's just really interesting that for some people it's, it's a gift and a blessing and they're marveling at it. And for other people, and these are a lot of our like mainline Presbyterian people, I'm like reading how they talk about it. I'm like, Oh, you are, you are threatened by this. And that's really interesting. And I suppose, again, what I see in it is not the event itself because I'm not there. And I, you know, for me, I think it's really important that if we're in Christ, we give people the benefit of the doubt. Love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things. Like, I don't see how a pastor, without knowing anything else, would choose not to just trust the sincerity and the lived experiences of the people in the room. Right. So, so that's my default. Um, and, and I am a person who has learned and praise God 
um, the hard way that everything we do that is worth being done has been done by the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, so I'm, so even as I am um, uncomfortable with how vulnerable I have to be to the Holy Spirit, I, I welcome and acknowledge that, that this is spiritual work that we're doing. But I think in a, in a mainline tradition where we've had a lot of institutional power and authority, it's just easy to be, to be very threatened by a movement of worship that wasn't sanctioned or codified or controlled or doesn't fit um, the approved narratives. I mean, you and I went to seminary where we learned the right way to do worship. And my, my sense is to want to put that in quotes, the quote right way to do worship, but I didn't learn the quote right way to do worship. I learned the right way. Like I went to an institution that with, with no sense of, um, you know, with no sense of irony felt that it had the authority to say this is the right way and the wrong way to worship God. And so I see that in how people respond to that and in how suspicious they are of it. Um, but I think at the end of the day, what we're doing is of God or it's a waste of time. And so moments like that just help us realize um, how how vulnerable we are before the Lord and how necessary it is for us to to be made uncomfortably aware of how we're not in control and we're not supposed to be in control. Um, and I just, um, so I'm, 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 and I had my heart strangely warmed by the Lord, um, at a young age and, and continually. And I understand that there's more to following God than having a palpable feeling of, God's presence that is comforting. I understand that some, one of the more compelling, um, our quote arguments against revival that I read just pointed out that there were a lot of religious revivals in the South before the civil war. And there was just an, an unleashing of the Holy spirit and people were swept up in it. And then they went back to their established lives and continued to fight to uphold systems of depravity. So I, I do understand that, um, you know, the, I believe that the devil can appear as an angel of light and can produce lots of feelings in people that are pleasurable, that but ultimately are deceptive and deceitful. Um, but I think, you know, the I, it is intimacy with God is something we need and something we crave. And I think we're it's easy sometimes to say like, oh well, young people need that, and we sort of act like we grow out of that. And if, if we grow out of it, I think we we are deceiving ourselves about, about what we really need. We, we need palpable heart connection to the Lord our whole lives. Um, or else we have sort of a respectable idol whose controls we're pulling. So anyway, that's. Well, I see this uh, story at um, Asbury college in light of Acts chapter five, uh, the, High Court in Jerusalem met to decide what to do about these Christians who seem to be turning the world upside down. Do we stop them? Do we do nothing? What are we supposed to do with these Christians um, who are saying that Jesus is risen from the dead and they are um, filled with the Holy Spirit and they are proclaiming uh, this gospel of a risen Christ? What are we to do with these people? And as they were debating in the High Court in Jerusalem, uh, one leader named Gamaliel stood up and he said, listen, 
if this is of if this is not of God, this will just fade and turn to dust. Mm-hmm. No worries. If this movement is from God, well, number one, you can't stop it. Two, if you try to stop it, you'll just be fighting God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's let, let's wait and see. Um, so I, I kind of take that posture uh, with this um, revival. You know, is it good? This is what I like. Is it good that college students are gathering to sing, pray, read scripture, give testimony, confess sin, days on end? Yes, that is a good thing. I celebrate that. I think that is from God. Absolutely. Praise the Lord uh, for those students uh, and they're being drawn uh, into um, uh, this long worship experience, this uh, encounter with, with the Lord. Fantastic. Also, I like that unlike other revivals in the history of this country, this one does not seem to be centered around emotion. The clips I've seen are very calm. It is not, um, it doesn't seem to be music driven. Like sometimes you go into some churches, it's about the smoke and lights and, you know, all of the screens. And mm-hmm. it's, this is not that. It's a person with an acoustic guitar, not even mic'd up or at mm-hmm. um, a piano. I also like that now that some well-known pastors are starting to show up at this thing in other quote-unquote revivals like this when these names when these figures start showing up they are automatically given the platform and the mic in this situation they're told to find a seat like everybody else Mm -hmm. i like that also um, i've heard that fox news uh, specifically um what is his name? Tucker Carlson <laughs> wanted to come and do a show and they said, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. You, you really have my attention now. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and also they are now moving part of this worship experience to another location in the city. And leaving this chapel area for students and staff. It's like, okay, these folks are really, they seem to be really working to keep this within certain boundaries. And and I I don't mean to control it because you can't control the Holy Spirit. To protect it. But to protect it. Because I think the danger, the danger is that there are people who will see this happening on a college campus and want to exploit it. Right. Number one, exploit it for the culture wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, to exploit it, again, there is anxiety across the country about how do we get young people into the church. Mm-hmm. To exploit it, to get those people, I'm, I'm using the, this language in, intentionally, to get those young people into our church, our form of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I am very aware that um, there have been other movements that have, well, when they flowered, 
they had a major effect on the church in America and on society in general. Because mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking about uh, the Jesus movement in the 60s and 70s when when hippies started to be mm-hmm. converted to Christ, and out of that came uh, the Calvary Chapel movement, which is still in existence. Out of that came. Um, that's when you got the shift to contemporary praise music instead of of, of organs and choirs with robes. You get guys with guitars and drums. And so then out of that, the Maranatha praise band and, and the whole praise music mm-hmm. scene that we know now was started because of that that movement. So I, I'm aware that this has the potential to be co-opted mm-hmm. by by folks who want to take the simplicity and beauty of this thing that is happening among students. I heard one uh, young man tell a story. He's a a white, I'm assuming he's a student. He was there in the chapel, and he said, I saw this woman in front of me, and she had pink and green hair, and I just looked at her clothes, and and I'm, I'm quoting him. These are not my words. These are his words. He said, in my eyes, she looked super woke. And I was wondering to myself, why is she here? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't for us. This is our thing. Right? This is the, the conservative Christian kids thing. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and this, this kid had a, you know, very, um, you know, a very, he was very clean cut. Yeah. Right? And, and then he said, I was totally convicted by the Holy Spirit that I was mm-hmm. just judging her. I was thinking, okay, so if they, can, if they can keep the simplicity of this thing that's happening, it may give, it, there, there may be a social movement that comes out of this after all, but one that is not manipulated by the powers that be, but one that opens students to be open. <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, I just think what you said at first when you talk about Acts 5 is the is the real deal because ultimately we see something happening and we're like, oh, this is an opportunity. And it's just beli- reveals how little we understand and trust the Holy Spirit. Like the fruits of worship is A, a gift that we offer to God. Like at the end of the day, all of us who are talking, what I think is irrelevant because Nope. It's not for me. Right. I, I'm not there. I'm not part of that community and I'm certainly not God. So if God feels that it's insincere or dangerous or manipulative or whatever, like then it's a problem, but like, it's not for me. So none of these people are my servants. My opinion is completely irrelevant. And I think, um, the reality is whether there's some institution that eventually traces its roots back to that moment, or as I think is, as I read scripture, what happens is people's hearts and lives are transformed and they then move into the world as agents of transformation in ways that probably they will never trace back to this one moment, or maybe they will, but has these ripple effects that isn't limited to the an institution with a budget or a particular set of activities. And I think that's you know, our, our problem is we, we tend to only, we want things to be big and we want them to be visible and we want them to be celebrated. And we think this is how the kingdom comes. And we think like worship is nice, prayer is nice, but only if it leads to quote something instead of recognizing that, you know, hearts transformed, um, you know, wisdom to know one's own sinfulness and bias revealed like a generation of people who are saying, 
I'm not fighting the culture wars because they're not of Christ. Um, you know, that's, that's beautiful. And that's something, I mean, what I think is, what is compelling about this is just how purposeless it is, right? Like it is not, it does not exist to do something that would be impressive to anyone. And that is the point of worship, I think. And I do think like that idea of protecting it, it's like the Schrodinger's cat of <laughs> revival, right? Like when we watch it, it becomes something other than it is. And I can remember you talking about Dorida at certain stages and just saying like, I just want to put a, a cover over this so that we can just be, have a, an audience of one, you know, be in relationship with the Holy Spirit and not really be influenced by what other people see or how they interpret it or what they inspect, expect. And I think, you know, that's the goal for every pastor is just to be really deeply centered. I mean, in every Christian too, but to be really deeply centered on in this community, Lord, we, it exists of you. It is for you and you are our only audience. And so this is, you know, the, it gives us a, an integrity that is can be missing otherwise. Yeah. And I also realize that I'm making an assumption that when we say revival, that people know what we're talking about. Because for a long time, my only understanding of revival is what some churches did in the spring and the fall. They put out a sign that says revival and they gave the dates, right? So they so revival meant we're holding some special services, bringing in some special preachers or special music, and these are services outside of Sunday our normal morning. Sunday mm -hmm. morning. But the idea really comes from Scripture in that something is dying or dead, right? Something mm -hmm. needs to be revived. And there's that place, I think it's in the Psalms, where the people of God ask, will you not revive us mm -hmm. again? What We are feeling life, lifeless. We need you to breathe new life into us. So it's a very biblical idea that we would be from time to time revived. Right. And, and or, or like Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, right? Yes. This idea that we as a community understand that God can bring life out of death. And that's obviously core to the revelation of Jesus that the on the cross Jesus died and God had the power to re resurrect Jesus and and bring life even out of death. And so that's one reason that we don't always have to chase what is shiny and new and big and what appears healthy, although we always want to cultivate health, but we know that nothing is beyond the reach of God's redeeming love and what i love about what's happening on that campus is that it just came out of their regular ordinary chapel mm -hmm. service and so it should be a reminder for every believer who is listening to us who attends their regular ordinary church on sunday right. mornings is that the same holy spirit that is bringing renewal to those students is the same holy spirit who we meet on sunday morning in our congregations are we open to right. renewal and revival? Do we think we need renewal or revival? Do we simply think, oh, if we just come up with a new program, a new idea, mm -hmm. a new flashy thing for the church to do, then the young people will come? Or are we asking God to bring us true spiritual renewal, not only to our individual hearts, but to the church itself? Right. And I think also to be able to say, like, look, it's really ultimately we are called to share what we have and that's a serious call. But ultimately 
the only revival I'm responsible for is my own, right? And it's just so easy to think, well, if those people would only, whatever that group is, if they would only get their act together, then everything would be fine. Instead of saying like, Lord, show me, like, show me my sin, show me where I, I need revival because I can't say yes or no on behalf of anyone else to the movement of the Holy Spirit. I can only say, here I am, I'm surrendered, you know, fill me, send me, um, slay me, whatever that is. Because I, and I think, you know, we do kind of, I have loved reading about it that someone said like, there was just an ordinary sermon by the youth pastor. There's nothing spectacular. <laughs> it's so fun for you and us and I to hear like, or, we love to ordinary. preach. And, I'm very ordinary. Well, and also just this idea that like, we all, we want everything we do to be spectacular. And there's a, there, there's something beautiful in that of like, cause I want to bring my best to God and I want, and I love this community and I want to serve them in the very best way. And it's also just really important to remember that like God doesn't need your spectacular. And so we don't need to be chasing it all the time. I was talking with a friend about Easter and you know, I mean the problem with Easter and I, I just kind of want to say this and market it this way at the Grove. And I use the word market intentionally, like, you know, don't, don't come for the show. There's not going to be a show on Easter, right? Like this is, this is this, what happened is more than enough. Right. And so I think that that sometimes, you know, we've got drummers flying in from the ceilings as if we need to gild the lily somewhere. Like we don't like what is not, it's not a spectacle. It's a, it's a truth that brings revival to the dead places in us and in our world. And that is more than enough to celebrate and like come in your, come skeptics because I, I get it. It seems, it seems too good to be true, but I just like the contrast for me in both of these conversations is like, God, you know, God bless the church. Cause in, in these two examples, we got parts of the church angry that young people are, theoretically worshiping Beyonce and parts of the church angry that people are worship, young people are worshiping Jesus, but not in the right form or under their, I mean, like, I mean, bless it people. Like we just have got to surrender to the fact that if Jesus is risen, it's going to be all right. And if Jesus is not, none of this matters. So there has to be a way that we can walk through things with some grace and equanimity and hope and like a seriousness about being about our father's business, not a seriousness about looking for who we can catch doing wrong. Like I'm, I'm nobody's judge. Um, so, I mean, I just think like poor, I could imagine young people just being like, I don't want to be any part of this institution. That's mad at me. If I go to Beyonce concert and also mad at me, if I go to worship, like whatever, bump off all of you. So that's, Fair. And we should not be surprised that in these times in which there's <coughs> so much pain, so much uncertainty, that people are starting to ask some some questions, some some deep questions about their spiritual lives. And I, I, I think I Personally, I am not surprised by well, this. Well, and we should welcome that because these are the conversations that we should be living for, right? Like, And I would also add, when it comes to Beyonce and her imagery, right? we got to consider the context. It comes out of a context of a series of black men being murdered by police. Correct. It comes in the context of a Black Lives Matter movement 
and I can, I can see, I can understand the impulse to communicate. Well, her, the title of their video, "Black yeah. is King," mm -hmm. is as 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 if to say, um, as as if to remind us of our royalty and history. I get that, and I think we need to lean into that, and just go deeper into the imagery without such knee-jerk reactions. Well, and I just think the reality is, I mean, I do, and this gets pretty heady and philosophical and theological, but like, I do believe in the universal Christ, right? Like, I believe that all truth is God's truth. I believe that Christ, the word of God, is the root of all reality. And so when I see when I recognize things in other cultures that are not my own, I'm not threatened by that. I, I believe that Jesus is truth and Jesus is universal. And I understand that my understanding of Jesus is incredibly limited, right? Like it's, yes. I'm not, I, it's not that yes. I know nothing. I know more than enough to inspire my undying loyalty by the grace of God. But I recognize that there is so much more to Christ and the revelation of Jesus of Nazareth than I could ever hope to imagine to understand on this side of eternity and so you can just sort of I can I'm not threatened also by recognizing things that I don't know and that I don't understand you know I know enough for today and I hope I know enough to be open to the gifts of God that transcend my understanding, right? Like I don't want to lean on my own understanding, which means I'm going to have to be comfortable walking with some mystery. I'm going to have to be comfortable going to the Lord and saying like, wow, this makes me uncomfortable. Help me spirit understand what of that discomfort to pay attention to and what of that discomfort to hold lightly and just to have right expectations of, of, honestly, of my sphere, right? Like I am responsible for a few things. So really all I can handle is Lord, help me be faithful and responsible for the parts of my reality that I am capable of managing and show me when I'm pretending to be too small and also show me when I'm presuming to be too big that, um, yeah. And in order to do that, we have to be given the tools with every culture to be able to discern what part of that culture, because I believe this is true for every culture, what part of that culture is good <laughs> that we can hold on to, and what part of that culture is not good that we, we do need to reject. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there are things in every single culture. We have just been trained in the Western world to see European culture as primarily good and African culture as primarily bad. And so we just don't have the tools to say, oh, here, here are some, some stories, some mythology, some right. historical characters in this long history of this continent. And we've just been talking about one particular people group, the Yoruba, but there's a huge continent. We haven't been given the tools to say, here's what we keep and here's what we do not keep. Right. And when we go to seminary, when well, we didn't go to the same seminary, but like 
they have you take a Western philosophy class your first year, right? So like you can't understand Jesus unless you know Socrates, unless you know Homer and let, you know, so the reality is it, it's not to say that there's nothing. It's not to say we shouldn't be discerning. We should be discerning, but we should also be discerning in how we talk about our discernment, right? And so it's just silly and dangerous, not for Beyonce to be styled as, you know, with cow cow imagery. It's dangerous to stand up in front of people and say, if you listen to a Beyonce song, essentially the blood of Jesus no longer is sufficient for you. That's dangerous. That's highly problematic. And that's not Beyonce's fault, right? Like, I I don't need Beyonce to, I, she's not responsible for proclaiming the cross, but pastors are. And so do we want to teach people how to be discerning? Yes. But that's going to require a complicated, nuanced conversation because, and partially because of the demonic and insidious unconscious culture and conscious culture of anti-blackness in this mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we have to stop talking now because we're very busy and important people. <laughs> um, so thank you all so much for listening. And if you want to find out more about what God is doing at God's church, Derida Presbyterian church, Woo-hoo. you can worship with them at 11 o'clock. You can check out the YouTube and podcast of Derida church on the Podbean website. And you can check out their website at Derida church lifesites.com. Check you out. I mean, that's exciting for me. It's only taken me, I think, a year. And if you want to find out more about what God is doing at God's Church, The Grove, um, you can go to our website, which is thegrovecharlotte.org. You can worship with us at 1030 if you're in the QC. And you can check out our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes or, you know, wherever. Um, But there's lots of groves out there. So look for the one with the green tree. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.